0: I am super excited to have you back for another episode of Red Receipt. It's a deep dive into the how and why of the brands we love and the creatives behind them. From blueprints to launch day, customers as community, and the detours in between. Big lessons and easy listening. Red Receipt is hosted by Antidote, the email and SMS marketing agency by people who hate boring email. Today on the show, I'm talking with Mara, the CMO of Heritage, the skincare line that has been in the business of self-care before it was a buzzword. After getting her feet wet in advertising, she went on to spend 10 years with Estee Lauder before landing at Heritage. We explore the benefits of always acting like a startup, hybrid remote work, and maintaining long-term goals while balancing day-to-day stress. This was a fun conversation, And as always, we hope you enjoy the show.
1: Uh,
0: Where are you based out of?
1: Hi, I'm based out of um, New York metro area. I'm out on Long Island after 16 years of living in New York City.
0: Are you from New York City originally?
1: No, I grew up outside of Philadelphia.
0: And uh, what, what brought you to New York?
1: Yeah. So after graduating from college, um, I was really excited to move to the city. A lot of friends were heading there. I had an older sister there and it really felt like the center of all the exciting jobs. Right. So I started my career in advertising as a media planner. So I landed a job in New York, moved into an apartment with some friends. Um, you know, and never left. I fell in love.
0: And, um, before being at heritage what what was your career path like after um, after being in that original role?
1: Sure. so I um was a marketing international business double major in my undergrad program at Georgetown, and I really wanted to work in marketing but back back then, I should say twenty years ago. <laughs> Um, you were told by all mentors in the industry that you can't just start in marketing. You need to start in advertising or something else, get your MBA, you know, and then you can do marketing. So I was pretty sad to learn that junior, senior year, but I I started in advertising, which was a great foundation. Um, I graduated the year of 9-11. So it was incredibly competitive to find roles um, in the city, entry-level positions. And I started with a media agency and my first account was 1-800-CALL-AT&T. So I'm definitely <laughs> dating myself here. If you remember, recall the Carrot Talk
0: That Top is so ads? awesome.
1: <laughs> you know, I delayed my start date and I was supposed to work on AT&T wireless. And um, the delayed start date t- put me on the Carrot Talk <laughs> account. But that's okay. It was an $100 million media account at the time with major television spending and, and really interesting analytics. So I, I learned a lot on the business. It was not my passion. Um, so I, I requested to switch to a CPG account and I, I got put on Pepperidge Farm, which is the cookies and goldfish and toast and breads. So I worked on goldfish and, uh, the breads, which was, which was fun and, you know, Milano cookies and things like that. So it was really exciting to learn their strategy and partner with the brand managers on something that's an actual product, right. Versus calling collect, which just felt, you know, nebulous, <laughs> nebulous, nebulous to me. So it was, um, and you're being polite, giggling. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: So I really liked working on a product and I really loved working with the brand managers on the business at Pepperidge Farm and realized I wanted to be in their seat, right? I wanted to be on the brand management side, making the decisions across everything, new flavors, new formulas, new what the label says, the marketing, creative, everything versus just the media planning. So I identified Companies I would be excited to work for, like beauty and fashion companies, and and beauty really hung, you know, stood out to me because the marketing team really makes a lot of the decisions, unlike fashion, which is much more creatively driven. So I started reaching out to beauty companies, and um, after two years of media planning, I started as an associate um, on fragrance marketing at Clinique. So it was a really exciting change. Clinique is part of Estee Lauder Companies, so I was working on fragrance at an allergy tested fragrance free brand. so you know I really had to start uh, in a niche category um, which was fun and I managed uh, fragrances like Clinique Happy which was in the top 10 at the time and for many many years and Aromatics Elixir which was a legacy fragrance which was incredibly beautiful and had been around for 30 years 35 years at the time so it was a great experience and I really enjoyed it and um Then I transitioned to the gift with purchase team, which actually at the time, which were those little gift bags with five little products. If you would shop different times of the year at different department stores, and it actually drove one third of our business in the U.S. It's so fascinating. Yeah. That promotional time period.
0: That there was a dedicated team. Yeah. I would never even imagine that that would, Yeah.
1: For sure. And there, it wasn't always, there wasn't always, you know, sometimes it was people just, you know, throwing the leftovers together, but no, we really themed the gift bags. We worked with beauty editors and had them select products. We partnered with fashion designers and had them design the bag fabric, like um, Millie and Trina Turk. And it was really fun to invent and infuse life into the program. And I did that role for two years. And it was a really exciting time working closely with retail partners, selling in the gift. You know, the retail buyers were very challenging. They always wanted something bigger and better. Um, So that was, it was an exciting time to really feel the pulse of the business. Uh, But after doing that, I was excited to be on the product creation side again, like I was on fragrance. Um, So I switched over to the makeup team and I managed the foundation category. So we called it FACE. Those foundation powders and concealers, which was the lion's share of our makeup business at the time, about 50%. So that was really exciting um, to really learn the category. At the same time, I went to grad school at FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology, based in New York. And they actually have a a really unique master's program for cosmetic and fragrance marketing and management. So it was great to. do that program while I was working. And I was sponsored by my company. And there's 20 individuals a year in the program. It was really exciting. We went to Europe together. We went to Asia together. We had the most amazing guest speakers in our classrooms twice a week in the fashion district and um, would never have traded doing that program for an MBA. So that was great. And um, coming out of the program, I switched to the skincare team. And I was a director of the De aging category, we called it instead of anti aging, (laughs) um, which was really fun, and launched the first serum for the brand, which was an incredible, incredible um, moment to be launching, you know, a a new category for a a legacy brand. We did a lot of research versus um, dermatological laser procedures. The product was called Laser Focus, really exciting, and it was my first time in my career that. I got really involved with the consumer insights process, which I thought was really exciting. And I traveled um, throughout Asia doing testing for this product um, on consumers, which was great. And then I went to Clinique Three Steps. So I was there for four or five years managing the three-step business and men's and cleansers. So I got a full spectrum uh, of Clinique in my 11 years there. It was an amazing learning ground. I worked with such fantastic leadership, made friends for life, worked on a brand that really stood for something, and that was ahead of its time, right? A dermatological brand It was the first one created in 1967 by a Vogue editor and a Fifth Avenue dermatologist, and it just always felt right. Everybody was so excited to work on this common mission and cause and and really, um, shall I say, Ensuring our DNA always came through, right, and our point of our point of difference, our uniqueness, and it was incredible. So I spent a really long time at Clinique, more than a decade, which is rare these days. Um, but I, I felt like I was always learning and growing, and, and traveled so much, and and learned all about our global um, markets, and that was amazing. And then I worked at the Origins brand, which is um, the clean cleaner version of a natural brand at Estee Lauder companies and had a great experience there. Um, but then, you know, it was really time to shake things up and to, to make a change. And I, at the time had two little kids, two little boys, um, I think ages one and three, which was definitely had my hands full. So I decided to, you know, leave a big corporate job and, and do a career pivot to continue to learn and grow and gain new experiences. So I became an advisor in the space, working with small brands, large brands in an advisory capacity. Um, I worked at a startup called FitSkin for two years as the chief marketing officer, which was a digital attachment to your iPhone. So it was a hardware and software proprietary application that can read and analyze your skin. So after years and years of launching products, right, this product can read and analyze your skin and you can track over time is my skincare really working and we launched it it was really cool and um, we launched with Neutrogena consumer-facing and we worked with other partners like Sephora for in-store and um, the brand is also now launched with Mitchell, so for hair and scalp health so it's very it was very cool working on the tech side of things and I also spent two and a half years working in private equity as an operating advisor, advising on deals, deal due diligence, deal introduction, which was a really interesting time to learn that whole new aspect of analyzing a company and working with founders, um, working with earlier stage businesses, some more established um, and really advising from my seat, right, and based on my experience, which I thought was great. But then I started to really miss operating and being back in it, in the weeds, helping, you know, the daily struggles, the exciting moments, gaining new distribution, those kinds of things. So I went back to Estee Lauder and worked at the MAC Cosmetics brand part-time for about a year. And then um, my current role um, came about, you know, in the middle of COVID, you know, I got the call, can you come help? And um, I started part-time, you know, it was the heart of COVID. I think it was a month into isolation. And, um, I started working with the team part-time and just fell in love with the brand and the team and the ethos. And, um, now I'm the chief marketing officer at heritage store. That was a very that long answer, awesome. but hopefully. How,
0: it's, it's fascinating. The, uh, range of experience you have, like working with such large, uh, established brands, and then also advising for, and working with startups. What do you see as some of the main differences in, uh, in the challenges that a startup is facing, and also how they successfully um, navigate those challenges compared to in a much larger organization? I find that a lot, a lot of times, like my um, contacts that I previously worked with in different roles at much bigger brands might not actually have perspective on uh, how to approach something when not within such a an established organization
1: yeah for sure and i had extremes going from huge beauty conglomerate to a startup of three people right with my boss in canada then to advising smaller businesses and now you know i work at a, a brand that's been around for a long time but i still think we're a startup right we're, we're still quite small and and finding our way and redefining ourselves so i think you know a startup is an amazing time for creativity and being able to test and learn try things out in a small way you know fail the the line we always had at estee lauder was like fail fast and fail cheap right and when you're a startup you can do that and you don't have all the resources but you can pull them in from friends contacts You know, former colleagues to learn things you don't know, and don't always have to have the bench of people. I do. I do think larger companies often get in their own way. And from now having a taste of being much more nimble and working at smaller brands, you know, I'm addicted to that. Right? If we make a decision, we run and do it versus having to have like the boss, the boss's boss, the boss's boss sign off and then have all these review meetings and just getting in your own way about being um, nimble, quick to react, staying up, staying on with the pulse. Right, especially with ad- advertising, has completely changed in the last five to ten years. Right, it's all digital, it's all quick, it's change- changing every day. Um, so I think it's really, I-, I encourage the startup mindset, even if somebody's at a large company. Right, to not not just take the resources available for granted, to you know count every penny, make sure you're really. Um, Making the best decisions and being able to to affect change, but I think what's also fantastic about working at a startup is you get to wear so many hats. While at a larger company, you're really in your box, and that's what you do, and you become a, an extreme category expert in what you're doing. Um, but it's not always as exciting.
0: What what initially drew you to Heritage, Heritage, and also I'm curious how did how did Heritage originally launch? I know we were talking before yeah. we started recording about, uh, how long the brand has been around. And also I feel like it's, uh, I don't know. I feel like I've seen the brand around for a long time. It's been, it's not only, uh, been around for a long time, but it's also stayed relevant.
1: Yeah. Throughout. That's great. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. I was drawn originally to the brand by the brand story and the product, right? It was. I, they sent me a box of products. I had not been familiar with it and immediately fell in love, you know, with our hero product, the Rosewater Refreshing Facial Mist. Gorgeous formula, only two ingredients, clean, vegan, cruelty-free, free of dyes. And it's always been that way since the beginning, right? We haven't scrambled to remove parabens or scrambled to remove other things like all the other big companies. It's always been this way, which is fantastic. And our brand story is That our founder, a gentleman named Tom Johnson, was working at Mars, you know, in the Northeast, decided to leave his corporate life, moved to Virginia Beach to study at the Association for Research and Enlightenment. And he got so inspired there that he wanted to open a storefront to create and sell wellness products. And some of the original products that he created back in the late 60s, the brand was launched in 1969 are some of our top-selling products today, like Ipsab Oral Care, Herbal Tonics, Castor Oil for Full Body Wellness, and Rosewater. And he named the business Heritage Store, and it was a special place devoted to positive energy and community. Um, we love to say we've been in the business of self-care long before it was a buzzword. And today, you know, 52 years later, we remain a positive self-care brand built around clean, plant-based, and minimal ingredients. Our mission is to enhance the physical and spiritual of all we serve with love, which is really beautiful. And I think clean is where the consumer is going and has already started to go. And it's the future, right? So to work at a brand that's not clean and that's loaded with ingredients, to me, isn't inspiring or exciting or feeling like it's moving in the right direction with what the consumer is making choices about. So that was, to me, was So exciting because I thought, wow, this this brand just needs some love. It just needs a good rebrand, right, to be relevant and have a skincare point of view. So we had our first rebrand in over 50 years for the brand. And we hired um, a leading watercolorist who's based in Stockholm to bring nature onto our package. So she brought beautiful rose watercolor onto the rose line, a sunset gradient onto our general brand. And we added clear sublines skin typing, an ingredient statement, and a clear benefit statement to the front of the package. Um, So it really is clear to the consumer. This product originally had on the front of pack, it was like bath splash, aromatherapy mist, and puts them in your hair, you know, and you're like, okay, it's not even saying spray your face, right? And you can do all those things. It's so versatile. And that's why I also love this product is you can use it all throughout the day to set your makeup, to refresh your skin in the morning, during your routine. You can spritz them in your hair throughout the day. You can get a refresh at your desk, use it before bed. It's a great product, but our products weren't very clearly saying what they do. And now, you know, we've been in health food stores for years and it's been our core retail. Um, But in the last two to three years, we've begun to expand into food drug and mass, like Target, Ulta, walmart you know and that you really need to be clear to the consumer about what it is
0: it also seems like starting a brand i guess it wasn't really started uh as a brand originally but even making products like that back then was probably so different than um what most people were making
1: for sure and and so clean and pure
0: yeah especially like not knowing the harmful effects of some of the chemicals that uh were going into virtually like every product
1: at that time for sure
0: what did you view when you when starting in your new role what did you view like as your main top priority in order to uh really elevate the brand and bring it Bring it into uh, maybe a more modern iteration of of what was already established.
1: Yeah. So we wanted to really celebrate the brand's past, right? And celebrate the brand and what it stands for visually and from a 360 perspective, because that's something that was lacking. You know, our website had stock imagery. There was like a one day photo shoot done a year ago that the team was still (laughs) using assets from. Right, so really bringing that that acumen to the brand, and so I hired a creative director who I've worked with in the past, who's amazing, and we started with a brand book. Right, let's put together a brand book. Let's pull together mood boards. She came on uh, for the packaging um, assistance, and then stayed on, and we established a brand book. Started to book photo shoots, really to create a lot and generate a lot of our own content for all of our touch points, right? Our social media, our website, texts, emails, advertising, you name it, right? So the brand really didn't have any of that in place. Um, So coming on and really resetting, what does this brand look like, right? Besides we did a package change, but like what else, what's next? And it was everything that was next. So it was really fun to sort of like focus on look and feel last year. And now we're really um, expanding our distribution and, and looking to increase our awareness and velocity.
0: And how do you view uh, product development, new product development and product launches within a brand, um, no pun intended, but yeah. uh, with so much heritage and uh, history with how, with how they um, approach product development?
1: For sure. So we really felt that the Rosewater sprays and toners our hero products in the line are amazing, but they're standalone, right? They were standing alone in somebody's bathroom, just one step from heritage store. Right. And we realized, you know, given my skincare background and given the distribution we were getting and the locations in the store we were getting, we really needed to build out a full skincare regimen in order to increase usage with consumers. So they can shop within the line, maybe buy two products or three and increase our AOV. Um, So we've now established this past year a full skincare regimen. So we've added a moisturizer, a cleanser, an oil. We have two masks launching in January um, and more things in the pipeline. So it's really exciting to have a full regimen that the consumer can shop because people love our rose sprays and the smell. The, The people that love rose love it. So now we have a full line and we really continue to try to uh, formulate with minimal ingredients, minimal plant based clean ingredients and hold that standard and compare ourselves to our leading competition of how many ingredients do we have versus the leading competition? Because for our sprays, there are two and three ingredients and most of the competition are 17 or 18. Right. So for our new products, we tried to maintain As close to that ratio as possible, a little bit harder with some more um, efficacious products like moisturizers and masks, but we ensured that we were on on the low end um, indeed. And that's very important to us. And to also source time-tested ingredients that have been around for centuries and um, sourcing things from all over the world has also been very important to us as a brand.
0: Do you find that it's easier for you now being in, uh, and I don't mean that it necessarily is the size of a startup but uh being in more of a startup mindset for you to stay close to the consumer and uh gathering feedback while developing product
1: yeah for sure you know we definitely do some robust consumer testing um with our current user base and non-users and um, are very close to ratings and reviews for products that have launched very, and that's so important today and, and close to our social media. So, yeah, no, I definitely feel very connected to what our consumer thinks about the brand. You know, we have the self-care spenders who have been with us for a long time, who discovered the brand to pri- primarily in health food stores, you know, and she's a little bit older, 35 to 49. And we call them soulful female zennials, right, who have a close connection to their beauty and personal care routines. Um, but our new younger consumer is our core consumer is called the spirited individualist. And she's a very diverse 18 to 34 year old, strong growth coming from Gen Z. And she's just exploring clean beauty typically for the first time with our brand. She's on a journey to make better choices for her mind, body, and the planet. And she's eager to, you know, make some positive changes. We also have a new area of opportunity for extension because our brand is trending with influencers and celebrities, makeup artists, estheticians, and we're getting a lot of organic PR. We also have a new opportunity with this consumer that's really the trend seeker who's age 18 to 49, who anchors her sense of self um, in her beauty routine and the latest trends. So that's been a new exciting consumer segment for us to go after.
0: how um and maybe this is outside of your your time with the brand but how how do you feel like the momentum within the influencer and celebrity community has been um encouraged or or cultivated you know i feel like with brands that have been around for a long time it might seem like it was it's like a random occurrence?
1: Yeah, I think it's really the brand's time, right? Gaining expanded distribution. So it's more available for people outside of their mom and pop health food store or Whole Foods or Sprouts. And um, really, and makeup artists have used it, you know, for years. So oftentimes celebrities learn about it through their makeup artists. But I think it's because it's clean, minimal ingredients, vegan, cruelty-free. I think those points, are so relevant today, they're more relevant today than they've ever been. But we've always been that way. So I think they're starting to discover it. And it's it's catching on and getting more momentum. You know, we've had organic PR from people like Selena Gomez, Jennifer Aniston, um, lots of models, Hilary Rhoda, Carolyn Murphy, you know, so it's exciting. Anya Taylor-Joy from The Queen's Gambit. Um, so we've gotten a lot, you know, in the past year. And I think, you know, they're learning about, The ingredient, the cleanliness of it, the you know refresh, reset. It's a very the the products are very special. I have to say.
0: What do you feel like surprised you since coming over to to the brand that maybe you didn't expect uh, initially?
1: Yeah, that could be like
0: challenges. It could be uh, really anything.
1: Yeah, I guess it's really learning FDM. Right, I come from prestige, where I have much higher price points, where I'm used to having much higher price points, I should say, and now I'm working at an amazing brand with an amazing product that is so well priced for the consumer. Right, this is ten dollars. Our number one product, so it's a lot different getting velocities for a very cost-effective product. I'm used to different margins um, from (laughs) the prestige world. So it's, I think that's been my biggest challenge is wrapping my head around that, right? Like when you're planning a campaign, it's like, okay, how many do we need to sell? Oh, wow. We need to sell a lot. Okay. You know, (laughs) we need it to pop off the shelf in FDM where there's no sales associate. Hi, can I, can I give you a spritz today? You know, that's not happening in our point of sale either. So it's hard to get the right marketing mix to stand out enough on shelf, gain those velocities and also accelerate the business so um so it soars you know gets winds in the wind in the sails
0: it seems like that's a challenge and also potentially a benefit like the fact that it's priced so well yeah means that people use it and love it because it's accessible to them but then on the other hand like the uh margin pressure and um volume that you need to sell in order uh for things to be in a healthy place creates its own set of of problems
1: yeah for sure and be, being right priced is so important to us and accessible and that's you know the beauty of the brand and, and competing in the clean mastige space um is is really a great spot to be and it's it's not something you know that we're looking to change but we just have to you know. Figure out the the other end of the challenge.
0: I mean, probably also like a massive di- differentiator comparatively to the rest of the, uh, or the majority of the clean beauty industry, knowing that things are tend to be much higher price points built mainly yeah. around marketing and, uh, brand rather than product and value.
1: For sure. And I think um, you know, and I look at some of the new, you know, clean skincare brands, personal care brands coming out and they're they're beautiful, beautifully packaged, have have everything going, but you know, the price points do are usually typically higher than you know regular products, if you will, whether it's in mass, mastige, or prestige.
0: Where do you see the future of the the brand and and product line going now that you do have the full skincare regimen and the distribution has expanded so that the um awareness is also on the upswing
1: yeah the future we really see um exciting momentum for this year for launching another regimen within one of our another uh, pillar of the brand and we're also innovating within the castor franchise so we have several castor oils that are also um big sellers for us. And it's our second biggest pillar outside Rosewater. So we have an exciting caster serum launching in January that's adding volume to your brows and lashes. And it's a mixture of regular caster, black caster, and a growth complex. So that's exciting for us. So we're continuing to innovate where it makes sense for the brand, but also to continue to always focus on rose and caster pillars and really just start getting the the velocities and the distribution we have, you know, we're so proud and honored for the distribution we've gained in the past year and a half has been incredible. It's almost doubled our distribution um, in a year. So that's amazing. And we just want to really ensure that we're connecting with those consumers and getting more UGC style content out there that, that resonates with them. We also just shot our first TV commercials um for the rosewater and rosewater toner that will go on youtube soon um which is really exciting the brand's never had a tv commercial
0: that's awesome yeah what a what a fun time it is uh i feel like you have the best of both worlds you have like the history of a an established brand and also the ability to act like a a more nimble organization
1: Yes, for sure. And it's also been, you know, it's been a lot of work, but it's been a lot of fun and incredibly rewarding. And I have the best team and, um, and it works, you know, half of us are remote, half are in our office in Salt Lake city. And, um, we all come together once a month and yeah, it's been, it's been a, it's been a great experience so far.
0: That's awesome. Uh, I'm curious, especially throughout your different roles, how um how how do you generally handle or manage like your long-term vision and goals with the day-to-day stress of running especially now like running more of a startup style organization and the the strains and pressures that come along with that short term
1: yeah i think it's important to build out the time to put together your strategy right your 3-year strategy Know what the goals are, what are the milestones, when are we supposed to hit them? Also, keeping a nice, robust marketing calendar of all the activations. So, and then as things shift and move, we're always all keeping everyone on the same page, but then also working further out and knowing, okay, six months from now, we need to work on this photo shoot and we're working on product innovation through 2023 right now. And that it's bringing that discipline from the bigger company. I think it's helpful because that's how, that's how I'm programmed to work and plan. And then you can relax a bit when the day-to-day can take over because you have all those plans in place and the team aligned and engaged in the vision and and what we're doing.
0: And how have you found it working half remote and half, uh, in-house just communicating and aligning on those?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I probably never would have taken a full-time remote job, um, but it was COVID and and I did and I have and I hadn't met anyone other than my boss in person um I started as an advisor and then I came on full time a few months later but I have to say it's been fine and super efficient you know the weeks I'm home you know I'm on back to back teams calls and and getting things done and and I think we're really efficient and and get it there it has been fantastic since I've been able to travel again since last February to have the time together, whether it's with my core team or my cross-functional partners, and to really bring all of that to life. And I love being together and with people. I wish I could go in every week, right? Um, because it would be really great to be together, but I can't. And I think we make the most of it. And my team was already half remote, hired through um, different acquisitions. So I think that discipline's always been there. So I think it's it's been good and it's been exciting, and it's probably a risk I never would have taken had it not been COVID
0: is there any advice looking back across your career this is kind of a uh this question might be a little difficult with your uh current role okay Um, is there any advice that you would go back and give yourself like maybe at the start of you coming on board to the new role with heritage uh that could learnings could have come from any other Period. It doesn't just have to be the time since coming on board.
1: Yeah. So I think from earlier in my career, I would have challenged myself to take more risks. Right. I, I focused on product marketing my whole time versus trying to learn ecom, trying to learn digital product development, getting more experiences. You know, I kept trying to move around, but I was I was put in the the bucket of a product person, product marketing person. So then that's what. I rose the ranks in. And when I tried to gain other experiences, I was always told, oh, you need to do a lateral move or a, a lower move. So I think I should have probably, should taken, have more probably taken more of those risks to to gain more experiences. I also was desperate to work overseas. and But the two times I had the opportunity, it just wasn't the right time for my family. But I wished I had made that happen when I was younger and things was just it's easier to pick up and go. But maybe, you know, maybe later down the line, I'll figure that out because I I do love to travel and and would love to work overseas. Um, Advice to myself in my current role, I think just realizing when you're making major changes to an established brand, you need to ensure the entire team is on board and that you're all working towards a common goal and mission and to not make too many changes too fast. I mean, when I was brought on board, I was given a tight timeline to do it and we got it done. But I think looking back, we could have probably um, executed a little bit smoother in-house.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. I had such a good time meeting you.
1: Thank you. You too. Really appreciate it. Received,